You are listening to The Interactome, a podcast by a group of young researchers who want to connect you to the world of science by sharing their stories and perspectives. Just in case their bosses are listening, they want to remind you that the opinions expressed here are their own. They also want to remind you not to take anything they say as medical or professional advice, as they are not doctors. Not yet, anyway. Stay tuned about that. And, without further ado, welcome to the Interactome. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Interactome. And today we have a really exciting topic in which we're going to talk about building labs. So, listeners, I will first pose you a question. When somebody says science lab, what image pops into your mind? And what does it look like? I'm Maya. I'll be helping to host today's episode about building labs. And first, I'll turn that question, what do you think a science lab looks like, um, back to our other hosts that are here with us today. So, um, Sam and Joe, before you guys started to work in a lab, what did you think they looked like? I, uh, honestly, I kind of just pictured this, like, mysterious, white, pristine, perfectly clean facility where people in white coats would, like, walk around in dim lighting and never talk to each other. Um, that's kind of what I pictured when I thought of Science Lab. Um, and, uh, now that I have been in a lab for a little while, I think that's... In terms of, uh, well, in some cases that's true, like certain kind of clean rooms where you literally can't have anything like contaminating what you're working with. But um, in general, uh, the lighting is a lot nicer. Um, oftentimes we have nice windows out into the open rest of the world, which is nice. Um, I always thought labs were like kind of dark, mysterious places underground. Um, but yeah, it just... In general, the labs that I have had the privilege to work in are generally very open and spacious with a lot of little bench tops, generally black, hard bench tops where you can put a lot of different kinds of things. Um, you can spill a lot of compounds or chemicals or bacteria or whatever, and it's all, all okay. You can just clean it up um, and it won't damage the counter. Um, there's usually a lot of sinks where you can uh, kind of like clean your glassware your different flasks and whatnot um and there's usually some incubators and things like that too so that's kind of what i picture now what about you sam um yeah so i i can't really i don't really remember what i thought of of labs before i had been in one i guess like my first impressions of labs were always like the high, labs in like high school and stuff but i always knew that those were kind of like not real labs so like like the classroom labs actually i think there was like first time i'd ever done like a science lab was in like elementary school like dissected squid or something there's like one weird science lab room somewhere um i guess it was the first time i'd ever like set foot in like a proper science lab um but uh i actually think i saw a clean room before that weirdly enough i don't remember exactly why i guess my dad had a friend with a clean room so i've seen that <laughs> as, but i guess as friends I do of, like, as friends do well he, he owned like a <laughs> a microprocessor oh, or something this guy did cool um but uh i think really 
if I were to jump to like what my immediate picture of a lab was, I'd probably think of like the lab in Jurassic Park. <laughs> that feels like kind of the the image in my head, um, which uh, I don't think really looks much like a real lab. Um, like, there's a lot of more computers. I guess it's probably more of like a computational thing. But um, yeah, nowadays, pretty much what Joe said is what I picture with a, a normal, like a, a real lab. Um, it's just a lot of like benches and usually a lot of random stuff lying around, depending on what the lab is. Um, scientists are really bad at getting involved stuff. So there's usually something in the room that nobody knows what it does, but nobody wants to get rid of it. Um, and the reason we're talking about this is not because we are experts on labs, although we're experts on sitting in them or working in them, <laughs> uh, but because we actually have a, an old friend here uh, who um, uh, designs labs. So... Uh, we have with us today Ewan Ellis, who uh, works Woo! as an architect who designs labs. So if you want to introduce yourself and uh, kind of kick us off with the real details of everything. Hi, so I am Ewan Ellis. I work as a designer at a property management company, and I specialize in designing laboratories. So, so what is it like building a lab? So like, what, what is the kind of the process of building a lab? Because uh, I think for all of us who work in labs, we just kind of accept that they're either things that magically come into existence somehow, or we uh, are uh, subjected to the noise of making a lab all the time, <laughs> like I have been uh, recently. But I'm still not entirely sure what's going on or how the process actually works. So um, do you have any kind of ways of laying out how that works? Or Yeah, I mean... I would describe it a bit like a puzzle um, or maybe what I would say, I would call it, imagine you have to build a Jenga tower, but in the order you took it apart. So you're, so you're kind of building pieces and making sure they fit together without the whole thing falling down. Um, because yeah, it's, it's a lot of like things have to fit together properly. Um, you know, there's, I, I've, I've been amazed um, as time has gone on, that, yeah, you have to make sure every little piece can fit properly. And there's all, all these, like, constraints that you don't always think about. So, yeah, it's, it's like a puzzle. Like, one of those, have you ever seen those 3D puzzles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, like, like the ones you get at, like, like in, like, Christmas crackers. Mm. You know, it's like those. Hmm. So, what kind of pieces um, go into the puzzle, Ewan? So, I mean, we're talking about electrical, plumbing, um, HVAC, which is like your air conditioning, your heating. Um, in labs, there's a lot of specialty stuff. So plumbing can include um, all of your uh, gases, so like nitrogen, carbon dioxide, um, compressed air, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it's crazy. And it all depends on... Um, for example, you have, um, in the latest one I did, we all had, it was all open ceiling, Ooh. which is, has really, like, sounds easier, but it has its own challenges because when it's just a regular, like, drop ceiling, like you see in office, you can just, like, jumble it up there and it, you know, it doesn't have to look pretty. Um, but with an open ceiling, it has to look pristine and beautiful and be as much a part of the lab as anything else. It's... It's a lot tougher. By open ceiling, do you mean that the ceilings are just really high? Um, or... <laughs> not always. Um, this open ceiling was only about, I want to say it was like 
only 11 feet high. Okay. Um, which I, I, don't, I don't know, like for, for, for like a frame of reference, like most of the labs we design, the ceiling will be at about nine feet, mm. 10 feet, maybe. So mm. not too much higher. I was going to say, for, for open ceiling, you mean that like, you're just saying that there's no drop ceiling or something, right? The next floor is right above it. There's not like a bunch yeah. of space to cram all the ugly stuff. Oh yeah, right? it's, it's, just, it's just concrete. It's just bare concrete. Oh, I see. I I I literally thought you meant like no ceiling. Just yeah, like I was like no roof. <laughs> where, where a roof would be. No roof. Just open to the elements. Would yeah. Would that be easy to design you in? Would that that would be impossible um, unless you're doing field work. It's not going to fly. Yeah. Uh, think of things not flying. Um, uh, when you talk about the like design experience of designing a lab, it's not just the physical bits, right? Like I can imagine that there are other constraints besides making sure the Jenga, the physical Jenga pieces go together, right? There's a lot of other things that happen first or even just like kind of rule what you're doing, right? It's not just literal nuts and bolts, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, what I could probably talk about is sort of how this process goes to get, uh, do you guys want me to talk about like, how we start the whole process or do you want me to like go like because i can talk about say for example all of the permitting we have to go through um everything with the client that we have to go through um what i mean what what what, what would you guys want to hear about first i think like probably the best place to start for everybody is i think right at the beginning because i think both that's probably the part that both we uh the Hosts and I guess whatever scientists are in the audience uh, are unfamiliar with, but also I think that people who aren't scientists probably want to know that uh, you're not just like gutting it like uh, the old Dunder Mifflin office or something <laughs> like the office and just like being like, yep. And so uh, we're going to put the laser in here, the uh, hazardous waste there, no problem. Yep, but uh, yep, that used to be the break room, but that, that's perfectly safe for containing like I don't know a bunch of mutant rats or something. I, um, hate, <laughs> I hate to say it, but the way we do things, you're not far off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, don't worry don't worry it's, it's a little bit better we, we take we take the room apart first and then we build something new in its place don't worry oh, I, i'm not I, storing rats in the break room. <laughs> I, I think i think part of my uh questions there were also just along the lines of like um there, there's got to be rules for this right oh there are so many rules oh there are so many rules yes um but i think first it might be good to get out of the way so we are a, I work for a property management company, which is a little bit different than from an architecture firm um, because we not only design what gets put in, but we also own it. So things are a little different. Um, so we are what you would call um, in the architecture world a, I guess you call it a design build firm. Um, which is basically you have, we design it and we build it, um, which is not necessarily what you do. Usually the architect and contractor are two separate people. So this, what, we, what that does for us is that things are cheaper, things go faster, um, communication between us and the contractor is super easy. I can walk 50 feet from my cubicle to go down and like talk to the project manager and you know, he can do the same to me. It's really convenient. Um, 
But also, for example, like we get our clients, like all of our clients come from, you know, we have our own marketing team, we have our own management team, you know, we have everything is done in house. For the most part, I, I, a lot of things, one thing that happens a lot with labs is that they are very specialized. No, no, no one lab is the same, which for us, we like to do things very standardized, which leads to um, us not being able to do certain things. Um, so, you know, if you want to put in, I'm just going to throw an example out there, a massive tank full of liquid nitrogen, we're going to have you find someone else to do that for you. Um, we'll do almost everything else, but you've got to find the guy who will put the tank outside. Um, but, so yeah, so that kind of starts what we do. Um, so let's say, our, you know, someone finds a client, they say, yeah, sure, we want to we move in. We want to have a lab with you guys. Uh, and so we get started on designing it. So we will go back and forth with the client and help them, you know, figure out what they want, figure out what they're looking for. Um, you know, we'll go back and forth with them on that. And then... Hmm? So I guess I'd want to cut in here a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're a scientist, you're, you've, you've decided you've recently come into a massive pile of money and you're like, I can make my own lab. I can do my own research. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are the sorts of things that like you need to know going into this? Because um, I think that that's like a question that I guess I wouldn't know how to answer. It's like, okay, so, mm -hmm. you know, I want to start a lab and I want to, I don't make like a pharmaceutical company. I want to do R&D for making medication or something. What yeah, are the so sorts of things I would need to know before I even start this conversation? You're going to like, the sort of thing that would be absurd for me not to know right now, um, you know, like I said, I'm mm -hmm. nowhere near the position to do that. So <laughs> like, what, what would you, what were the sorts of the very basic stuff that you need to start out with that you need, you expect the client to know to begin with? Yeah. So what they would need to know is, um, what, like, what kind of, like what they're going to do, like is very helpful. Cause that's kind of the basis for everything that the design is going to be it. Um, equipment is helpful to know, like, okay, you know, what equipment are you going to be using? Are you going to have any need for future equipment? Um, that sort of thing is always very helpful. Um, but a lot of, uh, help happens. So a lot of people will have lab consultants, um, basically someone who is there to kind of guide them through the process. Um, because yeah, they don't always really know what they need, um, which can sometimes be a little frustrating. Um, but it's you know that's what the that's what the consultant is there for, kind of help be the median and like help translate what we're saying to them and help translate what they're saying back to us. Um, so it's it's very useful for um, for that. So you know if you can find a consultant, if you can afford a consultant. That's great. They're very helpful. It sounds like cool. it. I wouldn't even know where to start, so I feel like they're extremely yeah. useful. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like know 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 what you're going to be doing and that decides everything. That decides everything. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, we like to say that form follows function. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and by like, when you say know what you're going to be doing, can that often mm -hmm. be binned into like 
oh, like um, biology labs kind of follow a similar like pattern um, to each other or chemistry labs often like look similar to each other or something like that. Yeah, they'll usually look fairly similar to each other. Um, and f like, for example, like, you know, if you're doing, you know, if you're still doing research versus if you're going to start prototyping process, um, you know, those are two very different um, things um, and look very different from each other. Um, uh, so like, even if, um, like, oh, sorry. So if it's like, if I just want to like, like you know have a little academic lab where i exploring uh -huh. a lot of things or if i want to like be in sam's um pharmaceutical company and i need to use like yeah. giant machines <laughs> to pump out the product right yeah. yeah well i mean that's i mean a factory is very different but let's say you know we have a client who is working on building batteries um so they have this whole open space for you know designing production lines to build their batteries um Versus, for example, we have a laboratory that just went in that is, yeah, going to be doing some of the more exploratory stuff. And, you know, it's just a lot of like standard lab benches. You know, they got a dark room. They've got a microscope room. Um, nothing terribly, you know, um, specific. Um, hmm. And that also depends on what you're going to be working with. You know, if you're going to be working on, say, you know, the common cold or E. coli versus, you know, Ebola or the coronavirus, those are very <laughs> different from each or other. Or mutant rats in the break room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I have a question, actually. It was speaking of old buildings. So, Go for it. Ewan, do you, do you find yourself, like working on building new labs most of the time are you revamping old ones like how does like i picture you guys like usually building the whole building um from scratch but i don't know like where like where your time falls versus like mm -hmm. renovations versus like completely new buildings yeah so because we are a property management company first we rarely build new buildings oh Hmm. Um, you know, it, you know, you, we, we have about, you know, maybe a project or two every year or so. And that depends on the process because getting a building permitted is very difficult. We have, we're working on one right now and, you know, the city has yet to, you know, say yes to it. And it's been like a year, you know, we've been beholden to local, um, to local politics for a bit. And so. You know, hopefully we can get that going soon. Um, but also, we're just, like, finishing up this massive complex that has taken us, you know, I I wasn't there when it started, so I want to say, like, at least at least a few years. It's, it's taken them quite a long time to get it done. Um, so maybe there's stuff in the future. Maybe not. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Um, and especially with the current lab boom here in New England, um, we are converting a lot of our office buildings into laboratories oh interesting kind of piecemeal so like you know you'll have a lab you know down the hall from you know joe schmoe's travel agency <laughs> hey. uh, um, but that's you know that's kind of what we do like we have all this space and you know we, we do you know labs are hot right now so that's what we're using that's what we're just converting offices to labs so that's what I meant by mutant rats in the break room. Um. <laughs> All right. 
So so uh so let's imagine that by hypothetical pharmaceutical company, I, I know what I want. I want the mutant rats where the break room used to be. I want the uh you know the uh I want like some giant centrifuge mm-hmm. uh and like, you know, I mean, just like some normal bio lab stuff too. And so I've got all these things. I've got the list of things I want. I've got it all nice and orderly. Maybe I've got a consultant in there. I give mm-hmm. you the list and then what happens? How do we, how do we turn, uh, you know, the old, uh, you know, office space into a lab? What's the next step? So once we agree to a design, um, we will, <clears throat> excuse me, we will give you a plan a set of specifications, which is basically, hey, here is every sing- here is a line item list of every single thing we are going to do um, to make this lab that you want, um, along with lease agreements, documents, things like that. You sign it all, you sign the lease, um, and then we get started um, on the permit drawings. So, hmm? so, so what's on that line item list exactly? Is it going to be like, you know, I want the giant centrifuge here, or is it going to be like more specific than that? Like, um, like... Yeah, I mean, so it is like, oh, you know, we're going to build a wall here. You know, we are going to have an outlet right here Hmm. for this machine, for your centrifuge. You know, we will have, you know, lights in this ceiling and they're going to be this type of light. Um, You know, the paint will be this color, so on and so forth. Um, That's what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so then then you started with the permitting you're saying? Yeah, so then we get started with the permitting. Um, so we'll draw it up, you know, say, hey, you know, we're, you know, so we'll draw your outlet for your centrifuge on the plan, all of that. Um, once the permit drawings are ready to go, um, basically what the permit drawings are for are to show the town, hey, we're doing this, perfectly safe what we're doing. It's, you know, up to all your standards. Everything's fine. Um, we'll hand it off to them. Hopefully they say, yes, this is fine. You are okay to build this. And so we'll do that. uh, And then we'll get building. You know, construction will begin. So I guess one last question about the permitting. If I, for example, wanted a giant cutting laser and like potentially hazardous materials and a bunch of like things that like, does it ever come to the point where the town's like, "Eh, I don't want that. Like... Um... (laughs) So, usually the town, yeah, so that will all get reviewed, and I know in a lot of towns there are forms that you, um, you know, Sam's laboratory have to fill out saying, yes, I will have these things in my lab, I will be working with this stuff, Um, and so the town will have to okay that in order for you to operate. Mm -hmm. So the... So that's not a you problem, that's a me problem? Yeah, that's a you problem. Okay, <laughs> you don't handle that. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'd have to go fight the town myself when I say I want an Olympic-sized swimming pool full of sulfuric acid? Yes. <laughs> that's not, that's not a... For, cool. for context, <laughs> sulfuric acid is one of the most, like, most, like, scalding caustic acids. Oh, oh yeah. Um, um, and usually, yeah. usually acids are a big problem um, because acids do raise a lot of concerns, especially with their disposal. Um, mm-hmm. Acid mm-hmm. disposal is very, is, is, a, is, a, is a toughie um, because there's a lot of paperwork with that. Oh, yeah. You, you, you just bought yourself a lot more paperwork, Sam. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I don't need the Olympic-sized swimming pool full of sulfuric gas. Um, 
Uh-huh. Cool. So, uh, I guess we, we can probably get to this later when you talk about building stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you've probably dealt with a few strange things in terms of construction, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, tell us. Tell us. Oh, the weirdest geez, thing. Now. So, the weirdest you've had to build, yeah. <laughs> Oh, things I've had to build because I was going to talk Wait. about the uh, lead-lined uh, partition Ooh. factory. Oh, oh yeah, no, 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 talk about that. <laughs> so, actually, and this leads this leads into another good uh, project. So, we were going to build. It is a um, superconductor test facility. So they were res- doing research on superconductors um, for energy transmission, um, and the space they were moving into had been used to construct these um, lead-lined partitions. So, like, you know, say you're going to get an MRI or something, Mm. you know. Uh. These are the walls you put in Uh. to, you know, prevent your staff from getting all sorts of cancer. Uh. Um, Wouldn't that be a CAT scan, x-rays? MRIs are magnets, right? That's right. You ha- that's a different. You ha- that's usually like a wire mesh. That's a wire mesh yeah, partition. Yeah. It's less getting cancer and more getting thrown across the room. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> just just to clarify for any of you who are going for like these sorts of medical procedures, people engineer these things such that first off, X-rays you need to have a lot of them for them to be dangerous, and mm-hmm. uh, the MRIs just don't have anything metal in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, fun fact: I've se- I, I've seen plans of um... were they plans? No. Wait. Yeah, never mind. Skip that. Um, <laughs> never. Mind. I I, I could have sworn like I can't remember if I if if it was a dentist's office and like that one panel like between the hallway and the and the dentist and like the the, the exam room that's lead lined often. Mm. Um, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that wanna, makes sense. You yeah. want to protect? I I don't remember if that's true. Don't quote me on it. Because well, I, I remember I I think I I. I one of the things I like to do is I like to do research on who I'm working with just because I like, well, I, I personally like working um, with context. Like I like to know, oh, okay, you know, this person does this. They are all this sort of thing. I like to know the why of why I'm doing something. I, I find that to be very useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so unfortunately they were not very careful with, the use of their lead. So it was everywhere. Oh. Um, it was in everything. Oh, no. Um, all, all over the building. Um, it, yeah, it, as I, if I remember correctly, it had contaminated the entire building. Um, Yikes. Yeah. So it had to be remediated. Like, every, like stripped down, torn apart, everything taken down and built from the ground up. Dang. Um, yeah. And so we wound up uh, building this superconductor test facility on top of it. Um, and the one interesting thing is, is that this these superconductors were cooled with liquid nitrogen to help, I think it was to help with their conductivity. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we had to do is they were very concerned about the liquid nitrogen um leaking and evaporating um i don't know what people know about liquid nitrogen or just gaseous nitrogen in general but um i think nitrogen when compressed isn't it like nitrogen when compressed into a regular tank is about like a thousand times smaller 
right? It's like compressed to a thousand times, I've heard. Smaller than, I don't know. Smaller than what? Like, smaller than it is as a gas. So, like, versus room, versus, like, room ambient pressure. Mm. Uh, it is, it is okay. really high, highly pressurized. That's, like, okay. my knowledge. Because it's, like, it, you have to, like, handle liquid nitrogen tanks carefully. Yeah. So. Is it, yeah. This is the non-scientist talking to all the scientists. Yeah, I, well, the thing is, like, I, I, we just use nitrogen. We just get the tanks of it, and then we're just like, okay. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know what the uh, density of liquid nitrogen is versus the density of gaseous oh, nitrogen. Oh, no, like, not, this, this is, this is, gaseous, oh, sorry, ni- this is gaseous nitrogen just in a tank. Oh, I, I guess it just depends oh. on how much you compress it then, right? I would bet yeah. that's, like, worse. Like, I bet that's more scary. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> So yeah, basically, none you of know, us know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we're all biologists. And honestly, liquid nitrogen is probably more compressed because once you compress it enough, it becomes liquid, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. Isn't that no, how you yeah. do liquid oxygen yes. in rockets? No, wait, yeah, wait, yep, yep. Oh wow, my yeah, my PCM professor just got a headache. PV <laughs> equals NRT. Is that the thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but there's, I'm thinking about like a phase diagram, right? You have temperature, yeah. and then you have pressure. So it's like one axis is temperature, the other is pressure, and like. The bottom left-hand corner is solid. The upper right is gas, and then oh, there's a bunch God. of yeah. lines in between that tell you it's all. There's something called a triple point where you get all three at once. It's all is, coming back you, to me. Okay. Yeah, I think in high school, yeah, in high school yeah. chem class. Yeah. Uh, my, oh. you were in you were in AP chem. We were. Me, right? I don't want to remember and, that class. And, they, and, and our, chem, our chem teacher put uh, dry ice in a tube and like sealed it off. And when the pressure from the evaporating dry ice reached a certain point you hit the triple point of it and you had liquid carbon dioxide, solid carbon dioxide, and gaseous carbon dioxide all in one tube. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's all coming back. Yeah, I think I I just think that liquid nitrogen is less scary probably just because I work with it a lot. And I'm like, ooh, that's a cold boy. So... (laughs) Yeah, but like, you work with it enough and at first it's like, oh, this is so cool. It's so dangerous. Now you're like, (laughs) I took my hand. Maybe don't say that too loud. But yeah, you can... can We do not... as a uh, organization, we do not um, we do not endorse any. I of tell these, my undergrads, don't do methods. it. I'm doing it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't I'm crazy. Do it. Like me don't pouring it on the floor, like woo, like oh like, my like, God. like oh my God. <laughs> pouring the picture on the oh floor. Oh my fine. God. <laughs> so do you make the linoleum in there able to is there like do you at least do some temper temperature tolerance or am i like slowly destroying my floor every time i pour liquid nitrogen on it for funsies you and um well i don't know because the floor was epoxy was an epo- was a uh port epoxy so oh, okay. probably a little resistant to any to any leakage. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, you had a great you had a great story that you derailed by asking us a science question that none of us knew the answer to. <laughs> I think the answer is it's complicated. It's yeah, it's complicated, it's dangerous, and if it leaks and turns into a gas, it will asphyxiate the entire room. Oh yeah, that's the important part. Yeah, that, yeah. that yes. sounds pretty big. That is scary. Uh, air, yeah. It so will replace right now, all the oxygen in the room. Oh, um yeah. So just to to clarify to everyone who's listening to this who doesn't know exactly what's happening there because i think that's that's weird because you hear that the air is 70 percent nitrogen mm-hmm. the air should be 70 percent nitrogen not 99 percent nitrogen yes you need that oxygen in there or you don't have oxygen you can't breathe so yes yep yeah nope it will kill yep. you um so yeah, just... they were concerned about it killing you and so they had to set up this very complex system um to make sure they didn't you know asphyxiate so this system had two two uh, low oxygen sensors. Um, it had the valve to let the liquid nitrogen in. It had a garage, uh, basically just a big 
<clears throat> excuse me, big garage door, um, and a massive ventilation unit on the roof. Mm-hmm. So basically, you had to have four things be true. Basically, both low oxygen sensors did not could not be alarmed. Um, the door had to be closed, and the ventilation had to be on. Um, and so, if all those things were true, the valve would open. Uh, if something went wrong, the valve would shut again, and you know, hopefully, nothing goes wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was that was one of the first like big lab projects I worked on. That was, you know, still one of the coolest, I think. Yeah. Man. So yeah. the build so the build process in general, I think um we haven't laid this out necessarily, but so like you know what's mm-hmm. gonna go into the the lab and you know where you're gonna build it. So then what's is that you said in this case with the lead one you you had to do a bunch of demolition first. Is that usual? Do you usually have to rip everything down into the studs? Uh it depends. Um, we like to reuse as much as we can. Um, so we try to avoid ripping things down to the studs, um, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, so, yeah, you know, you do your demolition however much you need to do, um, and then you can start with the... Then you put the studs back up. You start building the walls. Um, at least you start framing it. And once you start framing it, you start doing all your electrical, you start doing your plumbing, um, you start uh, doing your HVAC while everything is still open. So, so HVAC being, just for people who aren't... Um, yeah, so HVAC is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So HVAC, HVAC. Okay, so that's, that's the, what's going wrong when I walk into lab and it's like 50 degrees. <laughs> yes. Um, although that... Also, might mean it's working um, with the with the, with with uh, with a lab. Uh, if it's 50, if it's colder, it might be working. Um, maybe because <laughs> um, I can get to, into that right now. Um, if you guys want, I can I can talk about HVAC if you guys want. <laughs> um, I I think that's kind of an important part of the lab. Oh, it's very mm. yeah. Oh. There's definitely a lot of other things that we I I, I certainly want to get to like. Um, I, I think um, it'd be cool to also chat a little bit about like some of the things you have to consider with like specialized things that you're building, like maybe for example, like animal facilities mm-hmm. or or like uh, clean rooms, as we mentioned before. Um, so thinking about that would be cool too. But let's 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 talk let's talk about this first. I'm I'm curious. Um, actually, I could I could kind of use that. I mean, I could talk about you know animal rooms and stuff as a segue. Um, because so a lot of so a lot of the specialized stuff we won't do mm-hmm. just because it is just that specialized um we have done some vivariums which is your animal rooms um we've done a couple of those um but we don't do too many uh and those do require their their own special hvac um animals need a lot of help to be kept alive surprisingly <laughs> uh, <laughs> um it all and so you so with HVAC um, in a lab, what we are all our labs are designed for um, eight air changes an hour. Basically, if you have a room full of air, all that room is taken out and replaced eight times an hour. 
um, which is why it might feel a little cold because especially in the winter, you're just taking, you know, cold air, heating it up a bit and then just dumping it into the room. So um, how does that compare to like an office? So an office uses um, a recirculating system. So it uses, we design our systems to use about 15% outside air. Mm. Um, so the air changes, I, I haven't really ever measured the air change per hour, but it's a lot lower. Um, so, you know, we'll take the air, freshen it up, reheat it, add some, you know, add some fresh air from outside in, and then put it back into the office. Okay. And so that explains like why, like with COVID and everything, they were talking about like putting HEPA filters into things and everything. So that's just, oh yeah, that's just purifying the recirculated air. Yeah. Cause you're just breathing the same air every day. Um, <laughs> not, not the same air every day, but, uh, and- you know. But there's a good reason for that, right? Because you'd rather because it keeps it from wasting all that heat, right? I imagine. Oh yeah, it's yeah. These those systems are a lot more efficient when it comes to um, heating, because um, yeah, instead of having to do, um, you know, you know, you've got like twenty degree air, and you all of a sudden you have to heat it up to sixty eight. That that's that's a huge change. Um, you know, that's that's massive. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so cool. So, like, with an animal group, is that is that still the eight uh, air changes an hour, or like, how does that? Um, I'm not quite sure how many air changes per hour we need for that. Um, but one of the interesting things with an animal room is that that is a closed system. So mm-hmm. basically, it's it has its own unit for taking air in and its own unit for taking air out. Um, those units, um, the air will also be, um, done for humidity. So you have to make sure it's the correct humidity, have to make sure it's at the correct temperature. Um, if the power goes out, it has to be wired to a generator in order for it to keep functioning. Uh, you usually also need them in duplicate in case one has to go down for maintenance. Like that has to be running 24 seven in order to keep animals in a, at a comfortable temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, uh, the, um, I don't know. Oh, it's probably public record, but I, I, oh, I know it must be public record, but I, I, I have one of the, uh, schools I have studied that had a, uh, failure of both of those systems. It was ugly. A lot of animals died. The yeah. feds were involved. It was oh. bad. Oh no. Uh, That's because unfortunate. It was like in the middle of the summer and the whole ventilation system failed. Yeah, that's what you're trying to avoid. I schools and maintenance. Um, I've I've heard people complain that academic institutions have an what someone kind of uh, luridly referred to as an edifice complex. They keep building <laughs> buildings and they don't bother maintaining them. Uh, oh, I, I know that feeling. That's pretty. That's pretty punny. <laughs> See, yeah. the opposite. We don't build anything. We just maintain it all. It's great. <laughs> yeah. No, but what you're saying definitely makes sense because, like, I've never really thought that animals like needed like you know specific humidity or like special air but it turns out they do like i'm trying to think of like you know like um an animal room might look different for like people that work with mice people that work with frogs people that work with fish you know so um there's definitely a lot could be i have no idea what a a fish a fish room looks like i (laughs) i have no idea sounds fishy to me (laughs) sounds fishy fishy. there's just a lot of fish (laughs) I have a fish tank. I just upgraded it this weekend. 
Ooh. It's a lot of plumbing. I imagine. I imagine. Another. I have a little ten-gallon fish tank that I overplumbed. Uh, the fish are very happy. They're liking very excessive filter systems. There's another uh, design challenge for you, you and um, design the fish room where all the fish design reside. Design the fish room. Ooh, I've always wanted to design a fish Ooh. tank. That'd be fun. Uh, Maybe one day. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So all of this stuff. I also curious about like the timeline of all these things. So when you when you get in there, you get the the permitting, you get the construction, mm-hmm. um, like so the lab I've been working in, they uh, there there's like on my floor they've been putting another lab, and it's been like all summer. It's just been like sawing, hammering. They broke down walls. Then they started putting up new framing, and they did all this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's after they had all the conversations with the the new uh, researchers coming in there. Like, mm-hmm. uh, is that normal for it to take like you know? I don't know, probably, you know, few like four four or so months to do all the permitting and then I actually did see a lot of that and then uh like kind of a lot of time with the construction and then there's like some weird revisions they have to do. Um I guess there's also someone walking around with a stack of blueprints for a long time, like trying to figure That's out me. I'm that guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Well, I'm the guy who walks around with all the blueprints, not necessarily, you know. Yeah. So so like what's the timeline usually look like for you all? Um, so the timeline, um, so from sort of idea to signing a lease, um, from my experience, it takes anywhere from like two to three months. Uh, and then the actual permit takes anywhere from a few days to a month, depending on the town. Uh, and then construction right now we have, um, our, we usually say, Hey, We'll get this done um, in about, yeah, five or six months wow. is usually how long it takes. That's um, quick. Yeah, I thought it was longer. <laughs> um, well, you know, most stuff is, already in, you know, sometimes it's shorter than that. It really depends on the complexity, um, what we are starting with. So, hey, is the lab already there? Perfect. It's going to take us a lot less time. Um yeah, it it, it 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 can vary, um, and you know we have a lot of object. We have a lot of um, equipment that has some very long lead times. Um, so basically, how long it takes for us to order it and then get shipped to our door. Um, so lead time on some of this stuff will take six months. That's the last thing to go in. Um, like generators, for example, we we just have some in stock so that they're ready to go when we need them. Uh, I think um, in terms of like equipment, I think one thing that I speaking of also the fish tanks, um, like is there like so you talk about the plumbing like for uh, for like a lab um, mm-hmm. because again I'm, I'm kind of in plumbing mode after this weekend. Um, <laughs> is there like anything really um, interesting that happens with that? Like in terms of like because I'm imagining electrical is electrical, right? I mean, if you I guess there's probably some like heavy duty electrical stuff for some heavy duty equipment but oh yeah there is um is like is that like a big retrofitting process probably for that too electrical yeah um very quickly um uh it can be um usually labs require more power um than an office does just because a lot of the like the h you know hx that is an energy hog you know you got a lot more equipment running all of a sudden. Um, that also takes a lot more power. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sometimes we have to upgrade um, the amount of power going into the suite. Yeah. Hmm. What one of my favorite things about 
working in a lab though is when you can get like uh, deionized water like on a plumbing system like when i can just like turn it turn a tap and i can get just straight up water so like those you aren't scientists or don't like i don't know, think a lot about water the, the stuff that comes out of the tap has got a bunch of stuff dissolved in it it's like it's got mm-hmm. chlorine to treat it so uh you know the stuff isn't growing in it. it's got fluoride fluoride in it for your teeth usually uh it's got um you know anything that's dissolved in it and like you need stuff dissolved in your water just i mean we as humans aren't used to drinking just straight up water but mm-hmm. in a lab you don't want all those things you want just just pure h2o mm-hmm. and so it's great in a lab to just have a tap you turn on that just comes out but like and also like again i guess it's probably i imagine maybe you can't trust us to pour things down the sink that is just water <laughs> either so like kind of what does that process look like to make it so that you go from like plumbing that's you know tap water and you know a drain to mm-hmm. you know can put out pure water and you know get rid of you know well tolerate a couple of brain farts maybe on the part of a scientist <laughs> <laughs> or even just yeah. like buffer solutions that are just weird uh so yeah, things that can so, go down a drain that are still strange oh yeah i mean so i mean di water we don't even have we don't touch that like if you're if you're moving di water we don't touch it um and, you know, the city doesn't want to touch it because the fun thing is, you know, most of your pipes are made out of steel, iron, whatever, hopefully not lead anymore. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully not. Um, but at least at this point, it's sewer water, so you know, the fish will deal with it. Um, <laughs> sorry, fish. <laughs> that's the, that's what, so there's still, like, lead sewer pipes out there? Um, there could be. There, there very well could be. Um, you know, heck, you know, you hear about New York digging up wooden pipes. Yeah. Like, what's <laughs> up with that? Um, so, but the issue with deionized water is because, yeah, there's none of that, you know, extra fun stuff in there. Um, all of a sudden, that water is going to want to ha- get all of that back. Um, so it will just corrode your pipes. Um, it will just eat at your pipes and, you know, take all that lovely pipe material and put it into the water. Um, which eats at your pipes, and all of a sudden you got a leak of deionized water coming out. Um, but with things like acid and any other sorts of, you know, wastes that are, you know, not like incredibly hazardous, um, what the MWRA, which, you know, um, we work in Massachusetts, so that is the Massachusetts Water Resource Authority. Do I have that right? I googled um, it when we looked it up sounds... when we talked about this under prep, but uh, I can check um, it Sounds right. I want to say I want to say it's the authority, um, or it's either the authority or the administration. Um, authority, the authority. Sounds, that's yeah. the authority. <laughs> authority sounds better. Um, and so basically, their rules are: yeah, you can't just dump straight acid into our, into our pipes. Um, I feel like that's because once again, it's acidic. It's gonna eat everything up, and all of a sudden, you got a hole in your pipe. That is now leaking acid. Um, so what labs are required to do is if they're going to be pouring acid down a sink, um, what they will ha- what we will install is what's called a acid neutralization tank. Hmm. Um, there are a few other ways to describe it, but that's what it's called. And that tank is it's a five-gallon bucket, typically. Five-gallon bucket for you know your average sink, maybe bigger depending on how much water goes into it on a daily basis. Um, and that tank is full of a basic material. Usually it's like limestone, granite, 
um, something like that, you know, something like basic, but also generally cheap to find. Uh, and that will, in theory, neutralize the acid um, and take care of any problems that the uh, MDU RA has. Hmm. Oh, yeah. cool. And, and, yeah. And just to clarify, since I'm sure the, M- the MWRA is actually listening to this, um, you don't have to worry about this, but I, as I guess the token scientist working in Massachusetts on this call, uh, hmm. you're not supposed to put acid down the drain to begin with, but, don't. but uh, <laughs> if somehow it I, accidentally ends up there, you also want probably that protection between um, you and the, the outside world. And so that's what that tank is probably for. Um, I'm, you know, always, if you have a severely acidic solution or something, you just store it and have a hazardous waste company deal with it. Yep. Uh, you put it in a bottle, you put a tag on it, uh, and then that tag is essentially there to uh, have someone take it and have it be not your problem anymore. <laughs> yep, it's, it's, it's put in a nice little, like, fireproof room that, you know, you don't have, you know, yeah, and you don't have to deal with. Like, we have those, we'll design those. You know, we've got little fireproof rooms to store your waste in. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. Well, not fireproof, but fire resistant. <laughs> not what, fireproof. What's the difference? Um, so what we do, so the walls, I believe, are supposed to be what is two hour rated. So two hour rated means it will take two hours to burn through the wall. Mm. Um, and generally, that's an accepted amount of time. By that point, the fire department will have arrived hopefully taking care of the fire. Um, and so, you know, the fire flames won't get into your room full of, you know, hazardous waste and cause problems. Cool. That's good. That is Am good. I the one who's had to deal with burning acid before? <laughs> Probably. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> oh, so, no. fun fact, super fun glue fact. burns and releases acidic smoke. I learned this on a science fair project in high school where I was cutting through some pieces of wood I glued together with super glue and I was running the drill too slow because I was being nervous about it and I made a cloud of black burning smoke. Oh, oh no. Super glue is really nasty stuff if you use it in any way other than intended. It's, uh, it turns into cyanoacrylic acid, <laughs> cyanoacrylic acid um, which That's is terrifying. acrylic, which is, I guess, whatever, like, an acrylic base is with a cyanide group that can give up hydrogen atoms to your eyeballs. Oh no. <laughs> it's not fun. It was miserable. No, were you, uh, were you okay? I was fine. Okay. The solution was to just turn up the drill, I, but I hadn't anticipated that just drilling through a couple pieces of wood would make a cloud of acidic smoke. It's not fun. And that's not a particularly strong acid as far <laughs> as I can tell. It's just unpleasant. Um, yeah. Our listeners, please Oops. avoid drilling slowly through super glued pieces of wood. We do not condone this. Oh, I don't condone it either. I <laughs> no, yeah, would not uh, recommend when storing any <laughs> when storing any flammables. Put them in a metal container. Uh, you know, you can you can find metal cabinets on like Home Depot or like Uline yeah. or whatever. Like you can find them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> speaking of things people should know. Um, yes. So I guess. Uh, what in terms of like every scientist or anyone who's ever worked in a lab, is there anything you want us to know, uh, just kind of basically about labs, just kind of as a takeaway? Yeah. So um, I know that in a lot of labs, especially the larger ones, you will have 
um, some sort of a lab manager, basically someone who takes care of the lab, you know, sort of rover runs. Basically, it's like an IT guy for your lab, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, he's, you know, he's the person who will make sure everything's working for you. Mm. Um, but even still, like, you know, as a scientist, it should be very easy for you to be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, always be curious, like, how do things work? You know, even, like, in your everyday life, you know, like, oh, you know, how does your refrigerator work? Because that is a magical box full of thermodynamics, my friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, I, I, I still don't like, but how does it do that? Like, I, 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 I still don't quite understand it. PV um, equals NRT. We already said that equation it, before. It takes. That's how I know, but works. how does the hot become the cold? And like, it well, takes the work? heat and pushes it somewhere else. I know it does. Why don't we take the heat and it? push it somewhere else? <laughs> I can explain how a refrigerator works, but we can also. It, essentially, it, it uses. So PV equals NRT is the equation for what we call the ideal gas law. It's that pressure times volume equals the number of molecules times a constant called R uh, times the temperature. And so if you, you can't change the number of molecules too easily without like venting something, but you can change pressure and volume and you can then use that to change temperature. And so the way an air compressor works, not compre- so the, way, the way that a refrigerator works is you have a liquid and it evaporates on contact with heat. In this case, it's actually the cold inside of whatever you're trying to cool. And then that warmer liquid comes out, goes through a compressor, which then actually uh, has like a fan blowing across like all the tubing. So what it does is it compresses things. So the pressure goes up um, and then the excess temperature is just blown off. Uh, and then you have this cold stuff that then goes through and it evaporates. It's actually not exactly PV equals NRT because it's an evaporation and condensation cycle. Hmm. So condensed stuff evaporates. Evaporating takes in heat. Then you condense it again. The heat gets blown back into the environment, which is why hmm. the out back of your refrigerator is really warm. And then mm-hmm. uh, wash, rinse, repeat. You just pump heat out. Hmm. You can also run see, it in I, reverse to make a heater. Yeah, see, I thought it was liquid the whole time. I thought it was like liquid the whole way through. So I was like, how does that work? There's, I think there's also different designs too. But yeah, I'm it's sure usually a temperature it. that's like, usually a substance that evaporates close to whatever temperature you're trying to work with, which hmm. is why most refrigerants are nasty. Because it's just a yes. very specific temperature range, and you just need something that does that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you might know this, but uh, lab refrigerators have recently become explosive. Oh yeah, because they can't, well, they can't use freon anymore. So like, well, it's not that. Well, yeah, they can't use freon, but there's like they changed the classifications of refrigerants, so now you can use propane as a refrigerant because it works as one. And so, oh, yay. <laughs> I actually don't know if it's actually compressed the same way, but a lot of lab refrigerators these days use like propane or ethane or something. And so That's... it's just running with natural gas. And so if you get a leak, it can explode. Cool. It's mm. happened a couple of times. It catch on fire in the lab. It's fun. Cool. Nice. Yeah, especially when like people are using like Bunsen burners and like strikers in the lab, like flames everywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> household refrigerators aren't and, allowed to use And this is okay. why. Safety and constant checks about the health of your equipment are important. Yeah, it's also about usually we will put all our freezers in one room. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Yeah, so this is going back to the being curious, uh, like you were saying. Uh, Sometimes, my experience that can lead you to some very interesting bits of information. (laughs) Yeah, no, you you just like learn all this cool stuff, and like you know you. I, I just find it useful, you know, and I, I mean, like, I'm a big, like, 
I don't know if I should say this, but like I'm a big right to repair guy. Like you should know how to like fix stuff. Like know how to do your own oil change. It's not that hard. It's fun. Um, it is fun. I know exactly. It's great. Um, I, I don't think this is understood, but you and I have been friends for a very long time, and been friends for a very long time. We have been involved in repairing all kinds of things. At this point, oh yes, we've worked on a diesel oh, yeah. locomotive once. We have. That was fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, just like you know, be curious. It's, it's 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 great to know things, and it always helps to know how to talk shop with someone. Like that is halfway to anywhere knowing how to talk shop. I, I got to say, like, I, I had an experience at my uh, lab that I was working at before I went to medical school, and we we had tons of issues with our freezer. Something was wrong with the compressor in the freezer, um, and so I, I had to talk shop with uh, the guy who was involved in the maintenance and stuff, and I, I really I picked up a lot there, and it was absolutely invaluable for making sure our materials like our, our our tumor samples from like a very long time ago or like the the very special like gene edited cells that someone had made that are were like their prized possession like it, it all came very came in very it, it the everything that i learned from this guy came into play when uh, we had like a emergency where our freezer stopped working and hmm. like yeah it's talking shop like knowing how your equipment works is absolutely invaluable for us scientists and we don't do it enough mm. talk shop talk shop learn how to do it yeah man is there anything yeah. else you want scientists to take away Ewan? that's my that's my big takeaway <laughs> that's like that's like the big one if there is one take, thing take, take that away <laughs> take this there's one thing take that be curious yeah, I, I i think for um for me the the really big thing about all of this um and part of why uh we were uh, really want to make this episode where um uh we're talking to someone who actually you know isn't a scientist in the by trade is that uh <laughs> kind of take home the message that uh scientists can't science alone um we we can't sure do these can't. yeah we can't do these things alone uh and we uh in order for like scientists to do work and discover new stuff um we need to be able to turn on the lights or turn on a centrifuge or you know not suffocate on our tanks of nitrogen <laughs> gas or whatever it is and it, it's not at the end of the day <laughs> the people the people who uh make that happen are people like Ewan who um uh you know actually build labs figure out how to make all these things work um and make them safe also yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah and so it's, it's super important to recognize that like scientific advancements don't happen on island they're they're not just the person who's mixing stuff in test tubes and writing papers but it's also the people who put the lab together and make sure it still functions uh and it's something that i think that uh, i feel like is underappreciated in science um that uh, in all these discussions that like all the stuff that we use and everything that we do happens because someone put it there. Labs don't grow on trees. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, thanks for building these labs and uh, making sure that, you know, these labs come into existence and are safe and are functional. Um, and, you know, coming on and talking to us for about an hour now uh, to kind mm -hmm. of explain how all that happens. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and for everyone out there uh, who, you know, scientists, non-scientists, people who are, helping scientists do their jobs. Um, 
we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of uh, social media. So we're on uh, Twitter um, at the Interactome, uh, Instagram at uh, Interactome underscore media. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're on uh, YouTube uh, where we post uh, a lot of these episodes as audio. Um, and of course, if you're listening to this, not on YouTube, we are on most major uh, podcast platforms. Uh, and if you uh, ever want to you know, reach out to us on any social media um, or leave us a review anywhere, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and if you have any more stories about science, science adjacent stuff, or <laughs> just uh, maybe even just want to ask people like you in questions, um, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, We'll forward them, or I'll just add him <laughs> on social media. Just shoot to you. Just, yeah, no, shoot, shoot me a text message, Sam. Don't shoot me a text message. Go through that. <laughs> I'm very sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hop on somewhere and ask him. I mean, uh, yeah, and if there's anything anyone wants to hear about, uh, we'd love to hear from everyone. Uh, we'd love to hear any ideas anyone has and um, what we sh- uh, who we should have on next and what we should talk about next. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for listening, and again, thank you, Ewan, for uh, joining in. Um, oh, great to be here. Woo! Thank you, Ewan! Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right.